Wedge Issues is brought to you by WISPolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's WISPolitics.com. About a month since Josh Call was sworn in as Wisconsin's Attorney General, and there have been no shortage of issues for him to weigh in on. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. I sat down with Attorney General Call recently to talk about the first few weeks in office, a couple of legal challenges that have already come up for him to potentially weigh in on, and what he's going to be looking for in his budget request to Governor Tony Evers. Stay tuned to hear that conversation, but first let's check in with Eric Lawrenson and round up this week's news. Joining me once again, someone who sparks joy in the Marie Kondo philosophy uh, on this podcast, Eric Lawrenson. Oh, Eric. hello. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. Yeah, I was just well, telling Jesse yeah. that I've been doing the whole Marie Kondo thing. I finally caught the bug as with anyone else who's been watching that Netflix show about, you know, cleaning, organizing, tidying up your life. So yeah, I'm going through all my clothes, holding them in my hands. Uh, Assessing where they're at on the Joyo meter and then saying thank you and donating them or putting them, putting them back in the closet. Yeah, it's a, it's really fun, honestly. I'm having a grand old time doing it. I am actively resisting it. I am a pack rat and, uh, this will be a project for me at some point, but just really not there yet. It's really cleansing, Jesse. I, I, I really use, strongly I urge you to do cleansing. it. Um, yeah. It's been a very cluttered week. I would like to take a look at the news cycle actually and figure out, does this story Spark joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. Yeah. And, let's and take then, each you know, one. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's, yeah. I think people need to, to thank the news that they read yeah. each week more yeah, often. I think, I think that would make the world idea. a better place. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, like you said, it's been quite a week jam packed with stories. Uh, let's start with marijuana. Uh, Governor Tony, let's let's start with marijuana, where many great conversations tend to start. (laughs) Governor Tony Evers kind of has been tipping his hand lately when it comes to what he's thinking about putting into his proposed budget. And one of the things he revealed is uh, are some uh, policy points regarding marijuana in the state of Wisconsin. He's talking about a couple of couple of things here. He's talking about decriminalizing the sale and possession of very small amounts of marijuana. Um, he is talking about legalizing medical, uh, medicinal marijuana. Yeah, Jesse, why don't you go, go a little bit more in depth here? What, what were some of the, the things that he's proposing with this, yeah, this so plan? The, um, so a significant component of this plan, as you mentioned, would be to allow the use of uh, marijuana for medicinal purposes for particular ailments like uh, cancer, glaucoma, chronic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a sort of an approved list of uh, of ailments and, and illnesses, but there are potentially others that would be up to the approval, I think, of the Department of Health Services. And this would be approved by a doctor, recommended by a doctor, and then 
you would have to go uh, apply for a card, get an ID card, uh, pay a fee for that. Dispensaries would be regulated by the state, um, and and they would have to you know also pay licensing fees. And there would be uh, some revenue element uh, to this, but then also some uh, cost to enforcing it as well. We know that medical marijuana is is something that Republicans and Democrats, to a degree actually both support um, mm. and and not every Republican does. I haven't encountered a whole lot of Democrats in the legislature who don't support it, but this is something where there's potential for bipartisan agreement. Um, we know that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss supports medical marijuana. Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald does not. But the the support there from legislative Republicans is sort of contingent on it being a very restricted, limited allowance for this. So something that would be small amounts, very specific cases uh, that it would be allowed for and, and something that would not easily be turned into recreational legalization. Yeah. I mean, it seems like what legislative Republicans have been saying with uh, Evers' plan specifically is they don't necessarily see that that happening. They don't see it passing. That's right. Um, and that's essentially because of the decriminalization element of it. Now, uh, last session, there was actually a bipartisan bill that would have decriminalized possession of small amounts of marijuana. Um, it didn't have a lot of co-sponsors, but it did have mm-hmm. co-sponsors from both parties. Um, that was possession of up to 10 grams of marijuana, and the amount that's being proposed in the Evers plan is up to 25 grams. Yeah. As our good friend Molly Beck said in her coverage for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, I love this for context, she noted that 25 grams of marijuana is just enough to fit into a Ziploc baggie <laughs> for context. That's helpful to yeah. know. That's helpful yeah. to know. Um, yeah, I'm not good with math, so I need visual <laughs> yeah. aids on these things. Um, so that's where you start to see some uh, issues with the with the legislation from Republicans. You know, Evers, on the other hand, is saying, hey, you know, I'd like to get to full recreational legalization at some point, but I'm just talking about this really small step. And he's presenting the decriminalization element of this as really a racial disparities issue because studies have shown that African-Americans tend to be uh, arrested and, and charged with possession of marijuana at far higher rates, um, and especially in Wisconsin, than their white counterparts, despite using marijuana at essentially the same rate. So he's saying this is a way to start uh, cracking down on racial disparities in incarceration. Um, and he's also looking at introducing an expungement process for people who have already served their time for possession of that less than 25 gram amount. And there seems to be, based on Marquette University polling, seems like generally there's some public support for the legalization of marijuana. Yeah, and it's been growing over the years. They used to, um, they've asked this question a number of different ways, but most, most recently they asked just full legalization, what's the support for it? And it was 59% uh, with a 35% opposition rate. Hey. Well, I think a great segue from this conversation about this uh, marijuana proposal from Evers is to talk about another budgetary proposal that uh, Governor Evers talked with you about, which has to do with women's health. Another budgetary plan that is sort of directly addressing some racial disparities in what we're seeing in the state this time, maybe not so much with regards to incarceration, but with regard to health outcomes, infant mortality. Um, this is a $28 million kind of packet of policy proposals. Uh, tell us about it, Jesse. 
Yeah, and I'd like to to note actually, while I was reporting on this, um, as I was learning about the racial disparities in infant mortality rates, I found some really great coverage on that issue from our own colleague Lisa Specker. Lisa wrote a great cover story about infant mortality in Dane County and about those racial disparities. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's it's really staggering statistics. And so this proposal is looking at reducing infant mortality rates all the way around, but particular trying to get at some of the uh, the racial disparities there. So Governor Evers is calling this the Healthy Women, Healthy Babies plan, and it does uh, a lot of things. Um, I think one of the, the, really the most expensive part of it, the most significant component is expanding uh, the amount of time that a woman who's covered by Medicaid can receive postpartum coverage. So currently that is a 60-day window after a woman gives birth, and this plan would extend that to a full year after giving birth. Um, the plan would also create an infant mortality prevention program in the Department of Health Services. Um, it would fund a number of grants that do things all, all the way from, you know, offering preventative screenings, mammograms, STI testing, to um, getting into communities where there are high-risk births happening um, and focusing on, on the support systems that can be put in place to try to keep uh, young babies healthy and, and keep their families healthy. Um, and, and then the more controversial element of this proposal is that it would make Planned Parenthood once again eligible for some federal funding streams that uh, it had previously been eligible for, but those were taken away under Governor Scott Walker. So this this proposal has gotten a lot of really positive reaction from Democratic lawmakers, um, from women's health providers, um, and it's gotten some initial skepticism from Republicans um, in the initial Hours after it being released, talking to Republicans, none of them had had read it yet. But immediately, the thing that caught their attention was making Planned Parenthood eligible for those funds again. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said, you know, hadn't read the proposal yet, but he would pretty unequivocally state that Republicans would not give another nickel more than uh, Planned Parenthood is currently getting. Um, and so that could be an area where that proposal gets hung up. Yeah, uh, you know, a, a lot of the other components of this proposal uh, are just adding more funding to programs that already exist. So these are things that the state is already supporting and in theory wouldn't be controversial. It's just a question of um, prioritizing those funds. Gotcha. Well, finally, moving right along, let's talk about something that we actually went uh, fairly in-depth into last week when we talked about this Republican tax plan that got approved by both the Assembly and the Senate ended up on Governor Tony Evers' desk. And, you know, there was some indication last week that Governor Evers was not a fan of this plan. And this week he vetoed it uh, kind of in alignment with what he was saying last week. He was not a fan of the way that Republicans ended up sort of accounting for where this tax cut came from. Um, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about like what exactly his his beef with this plan was and why he ultimately vetoed it. What's his beef? It's going to be a recurring segment. What's that beef? Oh, God, we'd have so much material. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was not a surprise to anyone uh, that Governor Evers was not a fan of the Republican version of this tax plan, as we've talked about before. Governor Evers campaigned on cutting taxes by 10% for the middle class, um, but he wanted to fund that in part by tapping into budget reserves, but also in part by scaling back a tax credit for manufacturers. Republicans view that scaling back as a tax hike on manufacturers. They said, we've got a pretty good budget situation right now. We should tap into those reserves. Tony Evers said that's not sustainable because there's no guarantee that those reserves will be in the same condition that they are in right now. Republicans say there's never any guarantee, and your plan also taps into the reserves, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, 
in addition to that, the governor said that he believes that this process should be conducted during the actual budget um, session, which is about to start. He's going to introduce his own budget proposal next week. So, you know, he, he argued that this is a conversation that should be taking place within the context of the larger spending plan as a whole. Gotcha. So it, it based on that, it sounds very potentially likely that we're going to be having this conversation once again, just in a matter of weeks, but just in the context of a budgetary proposal. I would bet on it. All right. <laughs> All right. And Jesse, just very briefly, uh, we want to acknowledge um, that Governor Tony Evers also weighed in on ongoing litigation with regard to the controversial lame duck session of 2018 in which Republicans passed a, a, a number of bills that sort of broadly speaking curtailed certain uh, powers with the, the office of the governorship. Um, what did he say? He said that these bills uh, make him unable to effectively do his job and that you know leaving them in place would do irreparable harm to the executive branch and to the attorney general's position as well. So he is supporting uh, those who are challenging the laws and uh, the lawsuits keep on piling up. I think we're at four right now, most recently with the, with the Democratic Party of Wisconsin announcing that they will also be challenging it. So um, this is going to be an ongoing discussion in the weeks and months to come of the uh, legality of these laws. And probably there will be rulings and appeals and uh, it could go on for quite a while. Gotcha. Well, listeners, I hope that you held each one of those news items in your hands and really contemplated it and thanked it, cherished it, you know, <laughs> and hopefully you didn't throw it away. Hopefully they, they sparked some joy for you or some sort of feeling or not. Or not, you know, yeah, just do, live your life, you. live your life. You know, we don't all have to uh, ascribe to a condo philosophy here. I know she's the, the hot thing, but, you know, she's not for everyone. No. Probably not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thanks as always for having me, Jesse. So I'd like to start with the speech you gave at your inauguration ceremony when you talked about the lame duck legislation that was passed by Republicans that rolled back uh, some of the powers of you, some of the powers of the governor. You were uh, the most forceful of anyone who spoke that day uh, to speak against that. Um, Why did you feel that that was the right time to to talk about that and to talk about that in the way that you did? Yeah, I think it was important to talk about because it's a fundamental principle of our system of government that... um, you know, we, we don't switch the the authority that that elected offices have between the time of an election and the time when when people take office. Um, and so, I, I thought it was important to talk about that and talk about how you know we need to make sure that our our fundamental principles um, are taking precedence over the debates we're having. You know, that the debates at the moment. Um, and also, you know, I wanted to make clear that I also think. We need to be working together. There are a lot of issues that I, I expect to be able to work together with um, with people on both sides of the aisle on public safety issues, for example. And and I think it's important that we approach um, we approach issues with the goal of working together and getting things accomplished. And so I wanted to emphasize that because because I do believe that we can get let important legislation enacted with with broad support. Um, in terms of the effects, I think there um, some of them are pretty clear. One is to withdraw from a lawsuit. DOJ in, 
uh, in certain circumstances, needs to get approval now from the Joint Finance Committee rather than the governor. Um, a second area is if DOJ is, uh, the statute says, prosecuting a civil action. So, um, for example, if there's a breach of a contract action and DOJ is enforcing it, to, to settle that action, DOJ needs to get approval from the Joint Finance Committee again. Um, and so the result is going to be a, a, a slower process, a process that's um, less efficient, um, and it's you know the authority has been has been given to the the Joint Finance Committee. The other thing is there are there are impacts on DOJ um, from a budget standpoint. Um, so one you know obvious example is that the Solicitor General's office was eliminated. Um, that's four attorneys right there who were eliminated from from DOJ. So there, you know, there have been meaningful changes that have resulted from from that legislation, um, but you know the the Department of Justice will continue doing the critical work that it's doing to to make communities stronger. Potentially, one of the more confusing things to come from the lambda legislation is figuring out how to navigate uh, the state's participation in a lawsuit that's seeking to challenge the Affordable Care Act, which you are now not allowed to withdraw from without the legislature's approval. Can you just give us an update on where things are with that and how the lambda law changed uh, your your power there? Yeah, so I, I don't have any updates. The I, I think it was last week. Um, Representative Nigren commented on the status of things. I believe he. He said that he hadn't talked to the full caucus yet. But in terms of the way the process uh, works now, you know, previously, if the Department of Justice wanted to withdraw from uh, a lawsuit um, such as the ACA case, it would have uh, needed approval from the governor's office. And once it had that, it could have withdrawn from the suit. Now the process has changed. Um, Basically, that authority has been moved from the governor to the Joint Finance Committee. Um, So under current statute, for the state of Wisconsin to withdraw from from a civil action, um, it needs to get approval from from the Joint Finance Committee to do so. Is there a scenario in which, if the Joint Finance Committee did not grant you approval, you would look for uh, a creative way to get around that? Um, you know, changing the state's position within the lawsuit, or or just uh, pulling resources from from the lawsuit in the first place? So, so once Wisconsin is is in a lawsuit, if the Department of Justice is representing the state of Wisconsin, um, you know, m- my view is that that you litigate that case um, appropriately, uh, regardless of, of whether, a, you, know, a, you know, I were to personally agree with the way the joint finance were to resolve something. You know, a similar example is if uh, DOJ is defending a statute, um, if, if the department is involved in defending it, whether or not I, I personally agree with it, you approach the case where you, you know, you represent um, the state appropriately and, 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 and make, you know, the arguments you need to make on behalf of the state. You know, I, I think that uh, it's appropriate for the department to consider the, the bigger picture, um, the broader implications of some arguments. So if they might help in defense of one statute, but, for example, they would undermine our ability to defend other state statutes, I certainly think that's appropriate to consider. But, but generally speaking, um, you know, the role of the department is to litigate um, the cases fully. So you'll also be defending the state in challenges to its redistricting maps? Yes. Yeah, so that's a, you know, I, I believe that, Wisconsin should have nonpartisan redistricting. I would like to see legislation enacted that would um, set up a model that's similar to the model that Iowa has, um, because I think that that's in the interest of voters in Wisconsin, and I think it will save us money down the road uh, in litigation costs. Um, But that's not the current law in Wisconsin. Uh, There's a pending suit, and I think that there's legally defensible basis for defending the, the, the current maps. And so you know, the Department of Justice will continue defending them. 
another potentially high-profile lawsuit, um, Planned Parenthood has challenged a number of laws limiting access to abortion in Wisconsin. Um, some anti-abortion groups like Wisconsin Right to Life have expressed concerns that you would not be able to appropriately defend the state in, in those cases since Planned Parenthood endorsed you in your election. Uh, can you speak to that case? Yeah, th- those cases are being reviewed right now, and the approach that we will take in that case is the same one we would take in cases generally, which is if there's a reasonable legal defense uh, basis for defending those statutes, um, we will, and uh, I think we'll be making clear uh, what approach we'll be taking um, in the, I'm not sure exactly when, but in the weeks ahead. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. Jumping back to your inauguration speech, the one piece of policy that you talked about in that speech is red flag laws, something that you're asking the legislature to support. Have you had any conversations with lawmakers about what you'd like that to look like and what uh, your role as attorney general might be in that? So I, I know that there have been some proposals uh, in the legislature in previous sessions about um, red flag legislation, and you know I, I, I'm certainly happy to weigh in on details as the legislature makes progress. But I think um, the critical components are, first of all, that there be a process in place so that if um, somebody clearly is posing a, a threat to the safety of others, so somebody who's posted some sort of threat, for example, um, online, um, or there is. Uh, significant reason to believe that the person may be a threat to themselves, there's a significant concern of suicide, that there's a process in place that allows law enforcement or a family member to go to a judge to get an order that temporarily disarms that person. Um, I think that we need to make sure that that there are appropriate safeguards in the legislation, and I think it's something that should be used fairly rarely. Um, But I think having uh, that sort of process in place is is important. And so, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we will be able to work Um, with members of the legislature to get something enacted. As the legislature looks for ways to work across the aisle, combating opioid abuse has always been an area where they've been able to do that. Um, Also something that you talked about a lot on the campaign trail. Where is your office right now in terms of um, looking at things your predecessor did, finding things that you want to expand, do differently? So uh, one thing I think we, I hope to continue at least, but actually even better expand upon is um, grants for TAD programs, treatment and diversion programs. Um, I think part of what we need to do to to address the opioid epidemic and the growing problem with meth in Wisconsin is to make sure that um, people who do need assistance with with substance abuse addiction are able to get the help that they need. And I think if we have our criminal justice system set up in a way so that people who end up in the system because of an addiction or because of a mental health issue, if they're able to get the treatment they need um, rather than just ending up in jail, I think we are going to better be able to address the underlying uh, issue and hopefully make it less likely that that person is going to end up um, in the system again. Um, I also think it's it's critical that our enforcement efforts target uh, large-scale traffickers of drugs. Um, actually, just this morning we were uh, announcing some uh, grant funding that was awarded. This is pursuant to legislation that was authored by Representative Nigren and Senator Leo Vukmir in the last legislative session that authorized a million dollars worth of grants for law enforcement agencies working on drug trafficking. Um, and the, the funds um, are going to go to things like 
the purchase of undercover vehicles, um, surveillance equipment, uh, money for undercover drug buys, um, and then also safety equipment. Um, but, but ensuring that law enforcement has the resources it needs around the state, not just to, to, to do, you know, to make a single arrest here or there, but rather to um, do longer term intensive investigations where cases can be worked up the chain of supply, where law enforcement is working together at the local level, county level, state level, federal level, so that uh, investigations are resulting in charges and, and prosecutions of uh, conspiracies uh, or trafficking networks, um, I believe that that's the most effective way to um, to make sure that enforcement efforts are, are making a difference. So um, continuing to work on those efforts is, is going to be um, an important part of what DOJ is doing. Governor Evers will be introducing his budget proposal soon. What are you looking to see in that for the Department of Justice? Yes, yeah, so uh, there are a few priorities uh, that we have for the Department of Justice. One is um, the, and the sort of overall thing, I think, is we want to make sure that we are modernizing um, DOJ's ability to respond to uh, public safety issues and, and making sure that um, the tools we have to respond reflect modern challenges to public safety. Um, so one area where I think we clearly need um, uh, more resources is the state crime labs. As one example, there's been a, an increase from 2015 um, uh, with respect to average turnaround times for DNA analysis. Um, so we're going to be requesting more resources um, for the state crime labs. Um, another important thing that DOJ does is uh, assists law enforcement agencies around the state. And I'll give you an example um, that relates to our budget request. One of the things we're asking for is additional examiners for the digital forensics unit. Um, they, the folks in that unit recover evidence from, from cell phones, from computers, um, and as you know, that technology is ubiquitous these days. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, making sure that there are sufficient resources, sufficient, a sufficient number of people to recover that evidence, I think, is uh, important. But it's, it helps local law enforcement because um, most agencies in the state don't have digital forensic uh, examiners. Um, and that's a service that DOJ can provide to agencies uh, across the state and, and help them make, um, you know, help them uh, with their investigations in, the important, in these important cases. Um, and then a, a, another thing I think we should be doing to modernize is, as we were just talking about, um, increasing um, the use of treatment and diversion programs um, so that where people need substance abuse treatment, they need mental health treatment, they're able to get the treatment they need, and that, and that law enforcement's um, investigative and prosecutorial resources are able to focus on the more serious offenders um, whether it's larger-scale drug traffickers or gang members, um, with, with those resources. Um, I'd also like to uh, see more grant funding made available for um, innovative community policing programs. Um, I think that when um, law enforcement officers know people in the communities where they're working and vice versa, uh, first of all, I think just improving those relationships is important, but I also think you get better outcomes when you have those relationships. Um, from a law enforcement standpoint, I believe that you're, you get better intelligence if, if you have those relationships, and that means uh, a better ability to, to work on some of those investigations that, um, that do target larger-scale folks. You, you find out more information about who, who may be um, somebody involved in serious crime if, if you have those relationships. Will you be looking for more funding for DA's offices? Yes. So I, I, I support um, increasing funding for, for DA's. And, you know, I, uh, I think Public Radio maybe reported on um, a coalition that has come together. DOJ is, is part of that, but also 
state public defenders, um, the state courts, and then um, I believe it's both assistant DAs and the Wisconsin DAs Association. But uh, but one of the important requests in that is that there be additional funding for for ADAs, and it's really important that we that we have a sufficient number of DAs, uh, assistant DAs. Um, for one thing, it's important that cases be prosecuted in a timely fashion, that they not be delayed because there's a shortage of prosecutors. Um, that's important to um, public safety. It's important for victims of crime. Uh, and it's also important for, for the, the system to work effectively. For example, with treatment and diversion programs, if prosecutors are so under-resourced that they're not able to review cases in, until they're showing up in court, it's much harder to make a, an appropriate decision about whether somebody should be moved into a diversion program or instead should be um, going through the regular court process. You know, if somebody who's a defendant in a case, what they really need is treatment, having them wait extra months before the case moves forward doesn't, doesn't help on that front either. So, um, so increasing ADAs around the state is, is an important step that I'm hopeful that the legislature will take in this, um, this session. Uh, will the, the public defender element be part of that too? That's part of the request from the coalition is that uh, reimbursement rates be increased when, when there are um, defense lawyers who are appointed by the public defender. And, and, and part of the logic behind that coalition proposal is when any part of the system is, um, is not funded appropriately, it has impacts on the system as a whole. So with um, public defender um, pay, for example, um, when it takes a long time to get an attorney appointed for a defendant in a criminal case, that slows down the prosecution. It, it, you know, it, it, all these delays we're talking about with potential shortages of ADAs, Likewise, when, when the case is delayed because you can't, because there's no lawyer to appoint, you have these same problems happening. Heading into the next year, what would you say the biggest challenges and priorities um, are, aside from what we've talked about uh, in terms of public safety or consumer protection uh, for your office? Yeah, our, our, our top priority is, is public safety. And, um, you know, I touched on some of the, the elements that we uh, hope will be included in the governor's request to the, to the legislature. But, you know, as we talked about before, making sure we are doing what we can to address the opioid epidemic and our growing meth problem is, is a major priority. Um, I think we need to do more on school safety. We, we talked about um, a potential red flag law. I would certainly like to see universal background checks as well and long-term funding for mental health programs in schools. Um, another issue that we are working on addressing is um, we're, we're hoping to, to ultimately propose um, draft legislation that would reduce the likelihood of there ever being another backlog of untested rape kits in Wisconsin. Um, we've begun the process of, of preparing draft legislation and, and hope to have something in the next few months that um, hopefully will get broad support and that the legislature will adopt. Um, so those are all um, important public safety issues. Another one is uh, working to combat human trafficking uh, in Wisconsin. Um, and you know, there, there are important things we can be doing on that front. One is making sure that um, the public is aware of, of the danger posed by human trafficking and is aware of the signs of human trafficking so that um, people can report to law enforcement um, if they see those signs. But then also, again, making sure we've got enforcement efforts that are, are targeting the traffickers um, is an important part of what we need to do. So those are all important public safety priorities, among others. Um, but also getting back to being um, effective in enforcing our consumer protection laws and our environmental laws is, is a priority of mine. Um, and, you know, partly that is uh, 
uh, a matter of making sure that it's it's clear um, to attorneys within the department that 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 is a priority again and um, allowing uh, assistant AGs to, to do their job of enforcing those laws. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss anything. If you have feedback or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. If you like Wedge Issues, you can check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Madsplainers and The Corner Table. Next week, we'll be talking about the state budget. We'll see you then. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.